on one hand, that's cool. They're they're reflecting on that, that they understand that like that white savior narrative isn't gonna fly anymore, right? Ready the Armada. Kenobi. I'm not a monster. Welcome back to Films in Black and White, everybody. Huh? Me, 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 me. Excellent mouth horns. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I am one of your hosts, uh, Marcus J. Destin, Doug Wagner. If you are here for Doug Wagner and the Doug (laughs) Wagner show, okay, just like he told y'all when I was missing, Doug is going to try his best to show up, but Doug is traveling for work. Um, So it is going to be the Brian Marcus and our very special guest, Dr. John Little. Um, As we review Killers of the Flower Moon, just going to kind of give you all just a spoiler alert from the beginning. We're going to be diving into Killers of the Flower Moon, um, the newest movie out that is based on the book. Uh, We have Dr. John Little here to give us all types of insight um and we're gonna have a good time tonight um but before we get into that we cannot start the party without talking about our guests that are here and talking mm-hmm. about the the invited guests to the party so i'm gonna start with brian roush aka martin scorsese's eyebrows that's me hello <laughs> how hello. are you doing uh I, i'm glad to be here uh it was a big weekend and i this i, I saw this movie on thursday so it's been like it's been knocking around in here for for a bit and i'm happy to talk about it with folks because a lot of folks i know did not see this movie Mm -hmm. uh for a variety of reasons so uh so i'm excited to talk with people that have seen it um also just big weekend in the roush household we uh (laughs) we just we did a lot and i'm just happy to be here so that's that's where i'm at like a lot of like housework and stuff like that brian we so we celebrated uh, my son Liam's birthday a little oh. bit late. We took him to the Aladdin show in Milwaukee. Oh. And so okay. for listeners that know me, we're in Chicago, but my kid just like he goes bananas for Aladdin. And we saw that they were doing a Broadway show in Milwaukee. So I was like, OK, we're getting in the car and we're going to just we're going to go. We're going to go to Milwaukee and see okay. Aladdin. And it was great. It was great. How, is it? how long is how far is Milwaukee from you? It's like an hour 10. Oh, uh, so it's not, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. But at 930. At night, when you're like done with with a with you know a, <laughs> with a kid who's like super overtired, you're like, okay, we're gonna get through this. It's gonna be fine. It's fine. So yeah, it was good though. It was good. Beautiful thing about Milwaukee is that it's Dame time now. So now you get uh, Antetokounmpo <laughs> and Dame <laughs> in the same spot. Uh, so okay, well, Brian, thanks. I appreciate you uh, for. <laughs> Of course, that had nothing to do with anything. So I just think no, I, I was trying to follow you, man. I was, I was like, okay, okay, all right. Sure. Throwing out a sports bag. <laughs> and next up, we have uh, one of my very, very close friends, um, Doctor John Little. John, would you like me to give a bio, or do you want to do your check in first? Uh, let's do the check in first. Yeah. All right, how you feeling, Love John? Me. Talk to us, man. I'm feeling good. I I, I watched this film yesterday. Uh, so just fresh, very fresh. Uh, nice. It's four hours long, so it's really realistically, it was only about twelve hours ago that I watched it, uh, even though <laughs> it was yesterday. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. It was it was a really long film. I read the book also, and I've used the book to teach oh, it wow. in my class as well too. So um, I'm okay. excited to talk about it. So I think it's gonna be good. Roman Myers in the chat said, "Man, Doug got a major glow up." <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Clearly. Upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give a little bit of the bio before we get into the rest of the episode, because I want to make sure we do it justice when we talk about John Little. John Little is a native scholar, historian, and a filmmaker. Um, John Little, or Dr. John Little, Standing Rock, Dakota, is a scholar, historian, filmmaker, and mentor. That's very true. His presentations and research focuses on native student retention and success in higher education, decolonizing work in the university, cultural appropriation, and Native American themed mass. Scott's Lakota and Dakota music and Native American Vietnam veterans looking at the fact that Native Americans served in the military at higher uh, per capita rate than any other ethnic group in the United States. Dr. Little received his PhD in history from the University of Minnesota and is passionate about changing the way history is written about Native peoples. He is currently a postdoctoral fellow in the Institute of American Indian Studies at the University of South Dakota, where he also serves as the director of Native Recruitment and Alumni Engagement. Previously, he was the director of the Indian University of North, North America, a Native American college readiness program for high school graduates at Crazy Horse Memorial in the Black Hills of South Dakota. He is the co-director, alongside his brother Ken, of the 2017 award-winning film, More Than a Word, a documentary that goes inside the movement to change the name of the Washington football team, um, as well as what's uh, at stake in contemporary debates about cultural appropriation and Native American themed mascots. So we just want to show mad, mad <clears throat> love to Dr. John Little for joining us. Welcome. Today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh man, I'm we're so glad you're like here. I said, I'm excited to be here. You know, one shout out to Marcus. Uh, we go way back. Marcus was in the premiere of More Than a Word in 2017 <laughs> in Fort Worth. Rough cut premiere, but uh, but yeah, we go way back. So. That was a that was a very iconic moment for me. We went to Encore, the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity, oh, yeah. and my dad is like, I met John. We, me, and John have a lot of history of like very full, a lot of full circle moments of like when I first met John when he was like working with my dad and the CDC on my first day I moved to South Dakota, and then like now we work together and doing a lot of programming with each other for both of our offices and stuff like that. Real good time, him and um, his wife, Doctor Megan Redshirt Shaw. Um, but I was at the premiere, and that premiere was packed wall to wall, zero seats at Encore. And it was like a full, like, it was a theater. Th it was like a full, awesome. like, presentation room. So John is the man. He won't big himself up enough, but that's what I'm here for. But, gentlemen, before we can move forward with anything, well, we have, Marcus, we got to uh, check in with you, man. How are, how are you doing? Oh, I ain't did shit. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, All right. It's been, All right. when I say it's been a Monday, it has been a Monday. It's like okay. the running never stops. Uh, yeah. We have a big game this week, so it's like sure. a big rivalry game at the university, and so there's a lot of moving pieces with that. After this, we have our Unity Week. That'll be next week. That's um, right. We have a lot of different events that'll be happening almost every day that week, starting Wednesday. So it's it's a lot. I'm looking forward to after Unity Week when I just take okay. a couple of days off. I'm just going to take a few days off, Good. and we're just going to sleep or rest or eat some snacks or whatever the case may be, but I'm just happy Sweet. to be here. Just happy Excellent. to be here. Excellent. Excellent. So, before we can move forward, we have a very fun game to play, and we call that All game right. Catch That Quotable. Huh? Oh, boy. Catch That Quotable. All right. All right. So here's how we play the game. Roman Myers in the chat donates $10 every time that we hit or guess the quote. The okay. catch 22 about this game is we are bad at it. So anytime <laughs> that we do win some money from this, um, we always make a donation. And I think we are about at maybe $60 right now. Yeah. So we'll be looking at our next 
donation. Is everybody ready to hear the quote? Hit me. Hit me. Hit, hit me. me. Uh, John, you got to say hit me. Oh, hit me. Hit me. <laughs> there, there we go. Uh, it's a, <laughs> all right, here we go. She's not happy unless everyone around her is panicked, nauseous, or suicidal. One more time. She's not happy unless everyone around her is panicked, nauseous, or suicidal. What do we got? We usually we got a minute on the clock. I didn't pull the clock up, but we That's got a minute right. on the clock. That's all right. Uh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. What's the vibes? Um, I'm getting a Mean Girl vibe just out okay. of the gate, right? Yeah. Um, that was hmm. first. That was my first guess, but I'm thinking Devil Wears Prada. That was the next guess, oh. maybe. Yeah. That's, that's a good guess. That's, that's a good solid. Guess. Um, I would also say we were talking about Devil Wears Prada today in the neck. Oh, um, were you? <laughs> yeah, we were talking about how that's like one of my top five movies. So I feel like I also would guess Devil Wears Prada, but now I feel like I got to guess something else because John I took mean, my guess. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying. I'm thinking of like all the teen movies of like the past ten years because I don't feel like that's a line that would show up in something like 80s or 90s i just don't i don't i don't vibe with that i don't know um do revenge is a weird it's a weird like it's a really out there guess but netflix put that out there and it was kind of like a teenage i don't know i would expect it from a movie like that is what i'm trying to say there was a movie on netflix that was also about her losing she was like she was bigger heavier set woman then lost a lot of that weight and then there was like a tv series about it but i can't remember what it was called yeah Sounds like that too. Um, one minute is up. All Final right. guesses, everybody. What, what, what are we thinking, John? I'll, I'm gonna go with Devil Wears Prada because I, I feel like I've seen Mean Girls enough. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's right, good. John. Uh, Brian. I, I'm in the same. I'm in the same boat. Like I've I've seen Mean Girls so many times. I feel like that would have stuck out to me. So I'm gonna go with Do Revenge. I don't think it is that, but I, I can't think of another movie that this would be from. I'm actually gonna go. I'm actually also going to go with Devil Wears Prada too as well. So I'm going to search down. this up. So All let's, right. uh, let, let's everybody hold fast. Stay fast. Stay <laughs> We're going to cross our fingers fast. here. What I'm waiting for is this not to be like a teen comedy, whatever. And it's going to be like something out of left field, like a horror <laughs> movie. That's what I'm waiting for. That was that John is absolutely right. This is the Devil Wears Prada. So shout out wow. to shout out to did you know that right off the rip, John? Like, don't bullshit me. Like, did you already know? <laughs> you know, I I I wouldn't have got the title. I would have I would have struggled with the title if we wouldn't have been talking about it today. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's incredible. Um, hell yeah. I love that wow. movie. I really love that movie. Um, before we get into the movie, this is impromptu. But Brian. Oh, hello. Okay, for those that don't know, I'm Brian. I'm 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 gonna significantly downplay it, and it's not on purpose. Brian oh, has geez. done video game reviews and oh, written for magazines and papers. You know, he's done a lot of that <laughs> that kind of stuff professionally. Uh, I would love to hear from Brian Roush about his Spider-Man PS5 journey so far. Just kind of give us very like high level. How you feeling? Is it worth it? Like, what's the vibes, Brian? Yeah, I'll do like a really like high, like a bird's eye view type thing. I'm, I won't get into like super nitty gritty. Um, I see in the chat we're up to sixty five dollars. So I'm so glad I'm so glad you joined us. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> little that you were able to get us there because Mark, I mean, Mark, I, was, I wasn't going to. I wouldn't have. But, uh, but essentially, uh, no, Spider-Man PS5 is like essentially like if you liked the first Spider-Man PS5, 
it's that and and more. And the best part is that they put Miles in there. And one of the things that uh, that I've been talking about narrative wise with people is that it's good. It, it, the gameplay is phenomenal. Like that's rock solid. That's not really the big news. The big news to me is that like the story that they have, the people at Rocksteady are making like an incredible Spider-Man story and they're not even related to like the Marvel movies or even the Sony movies. But and the reason I say that is because like you start this game and we're not like we have to tell you about this guy that got bit by a radioactive spider. It's like, nope, like Peter Parker's trying to teach a high school class. Miles is trying to learn. Then Sandman pops out of nowhere and both of them go swinging off. And there's none of this like you're Spider-Man, you're Spider-Man. Like everybody's immediately working together. Um, and the stuff like with Mary Jane, like a lot of Spider-Man sometimes revolves around like, oh, will they, won't they? And you're kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, of course, but it's really painful to get there sometimes. And this and, and, and like eat right off of the bat with this game, Mary Jane's like in on it and she's mm -hmm. a reporter, um, which is kind of like, you know, I don't know, kind of Lois Laney, but it's fine because it, yeah. it works. She's like part of the spider team, which is just an evolution of that story. And it plays really well. So, um, no, it's phenomenal. The visuals are amazing. Like, I already know some people beat it. That's not me. I'm trying to savor it. Um, all the Venom stuff is phenomenal. Like, it's it's I mean, it's a great game. Yeah, so I can't. I mean, I can't talk about more. Some thanks, thanks for that review, Brian. I wonder that last little point you made about people. Some people have already beaten it. People must oh. have been pissing in a water bottle, right? <laughs> because there were some people who beat that same day, and yeah. I don't understand how they have the time. I don't. I I don't have that time or that patience. Maybe it's because we all watched, you know, a three and a half hour movie uh, this oh, weekend. True. But like, I I just <laughs> that story is like twenty to thirty hours. And to do that, you would have had like I I already have a job. I don't need to do this for eight hours. Like I'll savor it piece by piece, you know. So so yeah. I mean, happy for them. <laughs> yeah. John, do you play video games? Yeah, I do. Not as much as I. Yeah, I'm still on a PS4, a little outdated, but. Um, but I, I agree with you. I, I like to get the game. And if you're spending 60 to 80 bucks on a game, I don't yeah. want to finish it in one day. Right. I want to actually right. savor it and enjoy right. it. And, um, yeah, you know, a lot of those people probably beat it on a lower level too. Right. So, oh, totally. Um, so I don't know. I, I, yeah, I'm more of like an uncharted, uh, <sighs> yes. Bioshock. I love a Bioshock, mm -hmm. but, but, uh, yeah, I, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, okay. Y'all yeah. like to, I think if I play video game, now this game, I, now I'm the kind of guy that watches the gameplay on YouTube. So like, yeah. because I'm not, I don't have that system. I still got an Xbox 360 looking at me right now. I use it as a DVD player when I, when the Great DVD system. is Blu-ray. So like, <laughs> I just don't, I don't have that type of capabilities, but I'm watching it. And from what, I, from what I've watched, I've really, really enjoyed the story that's being told and the gameplay yeah. just seems like fucking flawless so like i just i love that a lot i mean it's dumb and everybody has said it but like it, it does you're like yeah i kind of feel like spider-man and you're just like mashing buttons but it's like no 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 you don't understand peter and miles are my friends you have to understand yeah. this. like that's the vibe the game gives you and like it's 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 it's, it's mind-blowing to me uh did, like, did uh I... marcus maybe you need to zoom in when uh brian's playing the game that's it just doing it more, more bonding right if Brian got a Twitch, I would absolutely watch him stream it. Man, another life. Uh, Ro Roman, I see you. And did I play with the realistic web swinging or with assisted? 
I'm do I'm trying to I'm trying to do it with realistic and fall damage. We're gonna see how far that gets me though. I might turn that off, Roman. Don't hold me to it, but I'm trying. I'm trying. Man, that's a little bit too realistic for me. I we're gonna try. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Now what everybody is here for. <laughs> All right. Well, we have the professionals in the building. We are here to talk about uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon that is based off the book Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant, uh, best-selling author of The Lost City of Z. Um, I'm going to kick us off with a barbershop synopsis, yes. unless somebody else would like to take this away. Marcus, I think you are uniquely positioned to give your barbershop synopsis. I was kind of hoping somebody else would take this away. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try to cover four and a half hours in a brief synopsis. Don't, don't feel like you have to. Maybe just maybe just hit the big points. <laughs> it was a lot. Okay. It's a lot. What had happened was, okay, you basically, all right, there is this land, piece of land, and under the land is oil. This is based in, I don't know, history or time periods, and I don't think they, I don't know if they put a time period on the entire time of the movie. Early 1920s, I think is what it was. Okay, early 1920s, okay, and and and, and John is a damn historian, he's a pro at this shit, so he'll correct me when I'm wrong. So, we're talking about the Osage people, right? The Osage people were the richest per capita. Okay, when it came to uh, and during this time period, all right, because there was oil and underneath the land, and oil is like gold at, at this time, of course, right? And so, in order to get some of that money in this particular area, um, the men would marry some of the Osage women, okay? And there's this, there's a lot of murders happening, there's like a conspiracy happening within the city, within the people um, that marry the Osage women to, to so that they can become the, um, what is it, the, um, so that they can get basically get their money. All right. They're marrying into the family. The head rights. Head rights. Head rights. Thank you. They want to marry into the family. They want to be able to get the head rights. But by doing that, um, they are killing off the, the women who they call they're like full what they would brag about being full blood. Okay. So doom. They're doing all this, they're killing off. Leonardo DiCaprio comes back from war, but he was a chef and something wrong with his stomach. They talk about it very briefly about something wrong yeah. with, his, with his gut. Um he comes in and he's talking to his uncle who is Bill Hale, white devil himself. Okay. So Bill Hale is giving him all of these tips and tricks and what to do and what to be around and not be stupid. And these are the people that you are going to be around and all this other stuff, giving him an opportunity to earn some money because he can't really do anything else because of his disability, essentially, right? So um, Leonardo DiCaprio character, um, he com he comes in and he falls in love and he marries um, Mary? He marries Mary. Yeah. He, he marries Mary. And so um, Mary <laughs> Mary is also the name of a gospel group. So that's what was throwing me off. He marries Mary, okay? And so uh, he marries into the family. He's saying he in love with her, but he is slowly killing her. There are people and, and uh, members of the Osage community and tribe that are dying, that be, are being murdered, that are being killed um, for their money. They are being taxed extra. And there's this entire story about how um, the entire community is being taken advantage of, killed off, yeah. murdered, and like they're having to come in. The FBI comes in to try to fix everything. And that is like pretty much the gist of this entire movie yeah. is just following that storyline. Yeah. Not four and a half hours worth, but that's, <laughs> it's, they covered a lot more, but that is my version of it. That sound, that sound okay. Everybody that sound all right. Hey, that, that was like, that was a good broad overview. Yes. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, so I'm going to give some of these facts, and then we're going to get into um, just the movie, our overall thoughts, and I really want us to just dive into this. Um, but Killer of the Flowers Moon, Killer of the Flower Moon, domestic uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, um, domestic opening was twenty three million two hundred fifty two twenty three. 
I don't even read this dang number. 23. It was like around 20 million. Yeah, um, around 20 yeah. million. 23 million, 253,650. So it was, it was big. It was big as hell for their opening. But our Taylor Swift won um, the weekend again. Also, hearing Taylor Swift while dramatic scenes are happening and Killers uh, of the Fire Moon right next door does not help with my experience, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Martin yeah. Scorsese would have hated that shit, to be honest with you. But yeah, neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is just some of the um, domestic. Internationally, they want, they've want they gotten about $21 million, and worldwide they have like 44, around $44 million as well. Gentlemen, where would we like to start? with Killers of the Flower Moon. Actually, I have a thought. So I'm going to try and guide this conversation as much as I can be a part of it. All right. John, can you tell us a little bit about um, the book itself and and like your experience with the book? And then can you tell us how it translated to a movie and like your immediate thoughts when it comes to that? Yeah. Yeah. The book. Um, so I've read the book a couple of times, actually, because I used it in a class that entered a Native Studies class here. And so um, it's a really effective book because it goes into a lot of these issues that are going on with Native people in the 20th century, uh, especially the early 20th century. And so it's a really good tool to teach students. And then the, it's also a little bit more intriguing because there's a lot of murder. There's a lot of things like that. Um, and so it makes the students more invested in it as, as, as tough as that is to say, but, mm-hmm. um, it is, it is a, a really good lesson in history for that. And the book is about 300 pages, I think are around there. Um, and so the story kind of through the book is a little bit more hidden. I feel like, it, you know, spoiler alert, I guess, if you, if you haven't watched it now, Bill Hale, as we've discussed, uh, not a great character, terrible human being. No, um, for the, like the first part of the book, you don't have any idea, uh, like what kind of person he is. And you're kind of figure trying to figure out and guess who the, the bad person is in the book oh. or bad people are. And so there's a little bit more twist to it at the beginning. Um, you learn a lot more about the conspiracy. This wasn't just Bill Hale. This was kind of the whole town and community was really invested in this. Um, yeah. And then you learn, I mean, even like the insurance, they kind of reference that when he's getting the insurance on them. The reason they were poisoning them is because, um, they could get the insurance off them. So there's a, a, a whole money-making scheme off a, a lot of this. And so I think you get a lot more details in it. It's a, it's a long book. Um, it's a really tough read because, uh, again, lots of people are getting murdered. Um, I'm trying to remember if what's worse, if the book or the movie is worse. I mean, the movie, it's a lot more graphic and you see that. But, um, you know, it's hard to read that, especially like the autopsies and stuff like that. They're going into a lot more depth. Like there's that whole scene with the brothers where they're like literally cutting open that the, the woman oh, that, that just died. That was awful. And, yeah. Yeah. And like they go into that, like she had to be autopsied, I think, multiple times. And so they go into a lot more details with that. And so, you know, on one hand, it's a, it's a really horrific story that I think needs to be told and people need to understand that violence. But um, the book, I think, in some ways is almost a little bit worse because uh yeah you know, it's, it's a lot more detailed too but i think for the most part you know it's it's that there's a reason it's like three and a half hours long right is it's a long mm-hmm. book there's a lot of moving parts a lot a lot of characters and so i think there's that's i'm actually pretty impressed at how well they were able to kind of take that book and make it into a movie mm-hmm. you know for me it was wow. like really it was really interesting because um when I watched Avatar Way of the Water, that was about three hours long too, right? I felt yeah. that three hours because I can only yeah. watch like some somebody blue swimming in water for, for so long before yeah. my ass start itching. But like the thing with the pacing for this movie was it didn't it didn't feel like 
three and a half hours until no. closer to the end where they kind of felt like they were kept introducing a new con. I looked over at Doug and was like, oh, wait, this is this isn't like the FBI man showed up. I thought that was it. I thought they were going to do the quick overview of like, yeah. all right, here's a review of how we busted everybody, y'all. But right. like, that's not that's not what this movie needed. And that's not what happened. Yeah. So I I, yeah. Well, and I, I'm really happy that you shared like about about the book, because going into the movie, I was like, man, I really wish I would have read the book. I just didn't I didn't have enough time. And I'm I'm going to read it now because just like the amount of details in this movie, like even some of them were like like skipped over. Like I, I think is like one way I would say it, um, because I didn't fully for me, I did not fully understand the head rights concept until like probably later in the movie than I should have. And that that wasn't that wasn't necessarily the fault of the movie, but it was like also this really weird antiquated idea of how you're divvying up like all this money from from oil. Like I had never even heard of that system. Um, and then I think and, and then I did figure out like, OK, it's only like the native folks that have these head rights, but um like leonardo dicaprio is clearly the beneficiary once he's married and that was the part that i was like oh like that's that's super messed up that's of mm -hmm. course why they're that's the whole narrative of why they're driving this but those that head rights thing was definitely something that like that was a total like learning curve for me and i like i looked at it too after the movie finished and i was like wow this was even more messed up than i than i previously understood <laughs> i think that for me that was the that was so if I'm going into the first thing that, and it's not really like a, not even a critique. It was just my thought process around it was, and Doug and I had stopped in the parking lot and we had talked about this right after the movie. Cause once I had to go, I'm not gonna lie, watch some cards. I cried when I got home. So I had to go like watch some cartoons or something. Like it was extremely heavy really? and rightfully yeah. so. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but one of the things that I was concerned about, and this was before I talked to John and we kind of spoke about it a little bit was this is, this is not a murder mystery movie. This isn't like a movie about like clue, like, right. When you can have a lot of these movies where somebody could come up with this concept in their head and write a script about it and say, Oh, it's just a movie, but this is based off of history, real life, actual history, things that there have been ripple effects and repercussions about what happened in this town and what has continued to happen, right. The conspiracies against murdering people. And, um, you know, John gave me some of the insight of like, what was, you know, the FBI agent kind of said, um, it was around 30 people that were killed, but really it was probably closer to a hundred, like 90 to a hundred of people from the Osage that were murdered and killed. Right. I was concerned with this because of people that like me that also didn't read the book, or people that aren't in an area like South Dakota where this history is more prevalent, mm. this could just come off as a movie that is just entertaining and not realizing that the history that it's connected to. And that's one of the major concerns that I've got as people are like watching this movie. Yeah. And you know, I think, yeah, we had a long conversation about that today. Cause I think the perception is like, okay, they were specifically attacked because they had a ton of money. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously this is like the, the most amount of, I mean, the descriptions in the book are like literally like you would hit a hole in the ground and oil is like shooting out. Right. And so there's, and there's the, one of the parts they leave out in the book is like this whole bidding scene where like these people that work for the oil companies are coming out and they're basically like buying that like rights to certain sections of land for like thousands of dollars. And, you know, it's like, so that's an interesting scene in the book too, but um, you know, this, this, again, there's a lot of money involved. So this situation looks a lot, a lot worse. Well, it is a lot worse, but the situation, 
this is pretty normalized, I guess, across the country too. So like my, my grandmother and my grandfather are from Standing Rock Reservation um, in the 1920s and 30s. Whenever they needed money, they had to write the reservation agent and ask, uh, even though it was their land that they owned. Wow. Um, you know, and it, it wasn't the same way. I don't think they were deemed like incompetent, but it was, a uh, you know, like I have letters from my grandmother basically asking like, I need a new pair. I need like like cloth so I can make like a new dress or I need uh, groceries or whatever. And basically the reservation agent would have to give them permission to do that. Um, and so you see that and that's kind of what that system set up is. And essentially mm-hmm. what, especially in Oklahoma, what that system was saying is that native people are incompetent unless they have a white person to, to like take control them. Um, and so oh. that's why all those people are like, they're, they're going, that's why there's that scene where she's like saying like, I'm incompetent. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's going to him and asking for money. Um, in that case, you know, obviously they're making a lot more money than my grandmother and my grandfather were, but, um, you know, that's, that's, that, that system was common across the United States for reservation communities and, and, and just not having any control over your income or your land. Um, and that system in a lot of ways is still present, right? We don't have mm-hmm. a lot of control over our land as oh. it is now. And so, um, so that's why, and again, that's why this book is a really good kind of microcosm for talking about these issues because, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these things impact us to the present day. It's really good. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's the thing about the history of it all, right? It's like me and John. And so I make a lot of jokes up here, obviously with Doug and Brian, because that is like the dynamic of our relationship on this podcast. But John, me and John also have, the, it's very sick sense of humor and it, it is based in like a lot of tra- historical trauma so i will say that to start um but me and john have a lot of conversations about how so i can only come from my perspective as a black man right so watching this all i could think about was like as if i was watching a slave movie like mm-hmm. this is how m- other people must feel when they watch these these types of movies that you know retail an actual gruesome history and only at a very high level right and because these movies can sometimes uh this might be the wrong phrase but like romanticize or it could kind of make it feel like a fantasy a little bit with the hist or a lot of bit with the history of yeah. uh, of america's retelling right um and so all i could think about was like man this is how people feel when you leave and you watch something like this of like 12 years a slave or whatever the case may be. And to me, I'm watching that movie like, yep, that happened. And I can still see the repercussions of this happening yeah. today. I've, I don't think it's very rare that I've been on the other side and felt like this and to mm-hmm. have people that I'm so close with that this is impacted by this movie hit significantly yeah. harder um, for me, especially being like I told Doug after the movie, if I would have watched this movie while I was in Virginia or North Carolina or in Texas, where the history isn't as prevalent and I haven't like gotten to meet so many people that I love that come from it, I don't know if I would have been as affected by it or it would have hit me as hard. I still would have been as empathetic being the person that I am. Yeah. But would it have meant as much that I don't know? Yeah. So. I, I mean, and I think that kind of leads into just how the movie was structured. Cause like not knowing anything, right. The only thing I really knew was like Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. I knew it was Oklahoma and I knew the, the basics of the oil. Um, but one of the things this movie does that like, I wasn't prepared for uh, was like, you're sticking with Leo and you're sticking with this, this awful man. <laughs> this, this like, like clearly 
the most awful man that I've seen a movie about. And like when you're watching a movie, you're like, oh, the protagonist, there's going to be something redeeming or anything, anything about it. So going in t- with no knowledge about it, you get to this point, right, where I believe he's uh, he, he's married Molly um, and like they're like, OK, now you're going to just give her this poison with the insulin. And I'm like, oh, this guy is just full on terrible. And I have like two hours of this left. Are you kidding me? And it was like painful. It was brutally painful to just experience that story, which like the movie doesn't going back to your other point, Marcus, like I hope I, I feel like the movie is structured in into when people see it they're not being like yeah it's leo like no it's like no this man is terrible like this man is terrible and you have to watch the whole time how terrible he is and like it it left me with something i don't know exactly what but like the the movie forces you into that perspective which i think is one of the things about movies that is special about it like you can't look away like you can't look away from all this brutality that like these terrible white people are doing and you have to reckon with that and that's I feel like that that goes back to your point of just like, yeah, you got to sit with this and and you have to like, I can't I can't imagine someone watching it and coming away. Even the most media illiterate person, I don't they at least are going to be like, that guy wasn't so good, you know, at the bare minimum. Do John, you had something you want to say? Nope, nope. Okay. so when it okay. When I'm looking at John as a filmmaker, right? So that not I want to just invite you on this podcast as the, as the native correspondent because that's not who you are, right? Although you you the, that is your expertise from the bio, right? But also as a filmmaker and as a fan of movies, how did you how did this movie connect with you and in its telling of this story? Knowing how the book is ran, you go into this, you kind of see, you know the flow of what this should be as opposed to us going in with I'm with Brian. All I saw was an Apple TV trailer right before other movies I've seen months ago with no context on anything and was like, oh, that looks like a good movie because it's got Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Like that was my that was very high level basic thinking as a filmmaker. You know, what stood out to you the most with this movie, John? Yeah. Well, one thing we can talk about at some point, too, is um, they changed how they were going to originally do this film. Um, We talked a a little bit about that today. but I think for me, it's 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 actually one of the first times I, I, I so I teach natives in film class too. Um, like I, I'm actually working on prepping the the syllabus for this spring, and so um, oftentimes when you go through kind of the arc of film, the film is usually like westerns wherever you're at. It's usually uh, if there's native people involved, the main focus is usually a white person, right? Even like Dance mm-hmm. with Wolves, which is conceived as like this award-winning film. Kevin Costner is a white guy surrounded by natives. Right. And so I was actually like really worried when I, when I, that's, I was like, Oh, this is just going to be another film told through like a white perspective, especially like murdering people. But at the same time, I was really reflecting on that. I don't know if this film would have worked any other way because uh, it's a, it's, it's so violent, right? You have to see yeah. it violent from the individual conducting that the individual is conducting that. And they had all those scenes where there's like the scene where you're walking through staring at, at the native at Molly when she's walking through, mm-hmm. um, which I think was trying to kind of reflect that it's, it's the community, right? It's, it's multiple people involved mm-hmm. in this. And so I, I actually think that that worked in ways that I, I would not have thought of. Like if you had asked me months ago, I, I, I would have been, upset if I would have found out that it was like mostly told to the white perspective. And so yeah. um, I think that that worked really, really powerful to me because I think if it was flipped and, and there, it definitely was included uh, like the Osage 
like they were included in it, right? Molly was a very strong character in mm-hmm. this world too. But I think if you flip that, I don't know if people would believe the violence if it was coming from a native perspective, just because of how people are constructed and how we've been constructed our whole lives. Like native people have been telling us this, like we, we know these stories, right? Like I can tell you like stories about my family members. I can tell you stories about all these things about boarding schools and all these things that have happened to native people. And we've been talking about them for years and years and people don't really want to listen. And so I think that like having that story told through Leonardo DiCaprio or through, uh, Oh my God. I just named, I just forgot his name. Um, uh, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Yeah. Having that, that story told through those two, like, um, and seeing that they're like community men, I think was also Mm -hmm. really impactful too. Right. They're not these like evil, like people that are just like inherently evil. Like they're these community men's members that like give back. They like are building places for their community, like upholding stand upstanding citizens, right. Committing murder. And so I think that's like what actually, makes it so like hard to like i think someone said earlier like it's hard to not watch right you want to just keep watching because you're like these are supposed to be good men but they're committing like horrific crimes and so i think that's what like for me like that's was a really fascinating take on it just to see it told from a white perspective but also like worked for me actually as well that's that's fascinating to hear too because as 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 you said that i remembered of the sequences in the movie where like Basically, Robert De Niro, like Hale's Hale, is basically like coaching Ernest, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. He's like, okay, all right, you, you, you're gonna marry her, and like they're so casually talking about this scheme, like they're talking about like just dinner table topics, which totally caught me off guard because I was like, are they really talking about like marrying this woman and then like trying to kill her? Oh, they are. Oh, okay. Uh, this is, and it was very off-putting, and it like, and this was like probably the first third of the movie um and like i i agree with you because if you you know telling it from a native perspective it's how do you i feel like that like it can totally be done but having it from this white perspective um like no like you get to see all of the terribleness you get to see all of it like there's no there's no where to hide from it like and mm-hmm. they show you pretty early on with leonardo's character killing the uh the private investigator um, which I'm like, oh, like we know this an hour in, <laughs> like the rest of the movie's gonna be woof. Uh, well, how is this gonna go? Um, so I think you make a great point. I wanna, I, wanna, I, I oh. one, one other point too is mm-hmm. I, I think, even coming from the native perspective, I was really thinking about makes it, um, oftentimes if it comes from a native perspective, it's seen as like really victims, right? Or poverty porn, or like okay. those poor Indians, they don't know any better too. And so I think like, that was also like interesting is like, having it come from these like strong white male characters, I thought I would never say those phrases in my entire life, but (laughs) um, having it come from that perspective actually made it like more, I guess, powerful or like it Mm -hmm. made it more like easier to like follow and and understand, I think. And, and, and and give like native people agency because they don't, they're trying to fight the system and overcome it, but it's like really impossible. Right. And so, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Marcus. No, I, no, no, I want to hear your perspective. I don't give a damn what I'm talking about. I, I feel like, um, do you, do you think, do you think that was done on purpose? The question I had when I started thinking about this more and more was like, Scorsese and Leo are still two white men, right? Just let's just take that at the most surface level that it is. I'm not saying that you know somebody who's not, you know, obviously you want to hear these stories come from the people it has affected that it reflects the most and representation is super important. You know, do you think that they could really do it justice 
the way that they need to still coming from these backgrounds, knowing that the story revolves well around the murder of the Osage people? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and I've been really reflecting on that um, to think to think how it could be done differently. But um, one thing we talked about today is, is actually a good setup to that, I think, is um, the, the film they were actually originally constructing it very differently than what it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I, I included the link in the, the chat, but mm -hmm. originally Leo Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be uh, Tom White, the sheriff. And so that's kind of how the book is done. The book is actually told through kind of Tom White and the sheriff. And so you get this perspective. And so Scorsese, I think, really early on quickly realized like, oh, this is going to be a white savior movie. Like this is going to be right. like the sheriff coming in. Um, and that that case is really fascinating. Again, this is like the beginning, kind of the beginning and the founding of the the FBI as we know it now. That didn't really exist before this. And so that that story in itself is really fascinating. But um, I think they really quickly realized. So Leo actually they swapped they, they swapped roles for him, and actually um, I don't know if Jesse I think Jesse Plemons had already been signed on as a different role. Mm -hmm. So I think they actually essentially kind of flipped them. Wow. But um, and you can read a little bit about that of like them kind of realizing like okay we have to shift up how this is told, and so I think yeah. Um, on one hand, that's cool. They're they're reflecting on that that they understand that like that white savior narrative isn't going to fly anymore, right? And I think the Osage yeah. Nation actually stepped up and also criticized it too right like uh, if you're going to tell our story you have to tell it from like the perspective of how evil it was right and how right. like awful it was and not only that but like we're still here we still survived one of the things that i they have that scene at the end you know when they're like panning out mm -hmm. um, i the book does a really good job of like the final chapter is him interviewing like the descendants of this to say like yeah like this happened like but at the same time, we're still here. We survived it and we overcame it. Um, and we do deal with it every day. We have a lot of trauma and, and all these things because of that. But I think that's one thing that I, I, I really was wishing for a little bit more. But they did have that scene at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's uh, one of those things. So I'm not sure how they tell it differently other than like that's almost needs to be a, a story beyond the the like murders, right? It needs to be like right. them surviving on. Like the final hour would almost need to be like, us surviving or, or native people surviving in that in that context i think and and i think one thing just to reflect on too is the like save you know not being the victim i think one of the reasons that as marcus knows that we have like really dark humor native people are some of the funniest people i think in the entire world and part of that is because we sometimes that's all you can do right is laugh yeah. <laughs> um when stuff yeah. like this is done and so I think that that's a really powerful thing. And I, I would hope that any movie that would be on that would be reflecting on like the native, native humor um, mm. and, and to survive that. That's a good, that's a, I think that's a really good point. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to, I mean, just on that point, I mean, there, there were moments, at least in my theater, this wasn't like a laugh out loud movie by any means, but there were points in this movie that were just set up just how, surreal i guess is is how it was like how surreal it was during these events um and the moment i'm thinking of like when my theater it was like a whole host of reactions when uh, i cannot remember the character's name but basically you have a character coming in they're like i'd like to adopt these native children wait i have a question um and he like straight up asks like will i get their head right that yes murdered yes. and the lawyer's like hey, like you're, it really seems like you're talking about murdering these children. And it was like a bunch of uncomfortable energy because it's like, this guy is straight faced. And it's like, I have no idea how to handle this situation. 
because it's so awful. Who would actually say this? Well, these people, <laughs> these people mm -hmm. in this story did. And that's how awful it was um, and what the environment was. And so I think that's like just how this movie captures that energy is just wild to me. And it just and kind of I don't know, it kind of slides into De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio's performances because it's like when you think of like sociopaths, we all go back to like, I don't know, we go back to these other like famous other famous movies like American Psycho or whatever, but like, no, like true psychopaths are, are like the Robert De Niro characters. Like, just like you said about like these community people of like, yeah, we got to find the people who did this. I'll offer another thousand dollars. That dude, that dude is like mess. Like he does a diabolical bitch. Right. <laughs> like he has no remorse. He's in jail and he's just like, he's just carrying on with his day. Like nothing happened. Like, and that, I feel like that that part of the movie is like really what got me. I was like, they they don't even understand what's wrong here. Like that's and that is just yeah. so it's horrifying uh, and impactful, at least for me when I was watching it. So, so I wanted to, so that's what for me. This is what I kind of how my brain processes shit, and I'm like, this is this is me. So we I, the the villain. Of this movie, if I'm just using that at this yeah. word, right? Um, Bill King, whatever. He is diabolical as shit, right? And he's so diabolical the way that they set him up to one, I think the book or the movie or whatever it is, to have him speak the Osage language oh, the entire geez. time and then to still take advantage and to be, I don't know if it's it's narcissism to an extent. It's also um, socio. It's kind of being. It's being a sociopath for sure. But he didn't see anything wrong till the very end with what he did. Right? He was writing letters back to the community of like, those are my closest friends. They know I would never. I built their hospitals. I did this for them. I did that for them. They love me. Even after he was arrested and obviously like released on parole, and the way they told the story that he got to die basically in peace in a um in a um nursing home right so basically he got away with everything that he did to the people all my mind could go to was like we have had conversations for the past few years of like thanos is the best villain <laughs> in all of movies currently they wrote this phenomenal villain and thanos is such a bad motherfucker of like if we need to beat thanos we got to introduce king the conqueror because <laughs> those two motherfuckers got to go head to head and in my mind the entire time i was like thanos and king the conqueror ain't got shit on this real ass human being fucking bill king hell because yep. he was just a nasty fucking dude and so was leonardo dicaprio right like him saying, oh, I love my Molly. I love Molly. I love my wife. No, I love he's telling Bill like, oh, I love my wife. I love her as he's poisoning her. You know what I mean? And it's like they also tried to show that he was remorseful. I don't know if I like that me personally and don't know what that reflected in the book. But I don't think I was a fan of them showing how remorseful and in love with his wife that he was because that didn't mean a damn to me. It almost seemed like Molly was forgiving after finding out he did all of this shit. Am I the only one that kind of picked up on that? No, I, I mean, I think that was actually one of the criticisms uh, I saw on Twitter from a lot of mm. native folks was that like you, you, the way that they projected Leo's character at the end, like you shouldn't mm -hmm. feel any empathy for him. Um, mm -hmm. Especially like, 
and you know they kind of play him that he's an idiot right or mm-hmm. like oh yeah and and uh i don't know i mean it, it, you know i i think it at some level he obviously killed people and knew what he was doing right and so I think that that's what what like a lot of people were frustrated with was that like you shouldn't feel any empathy for him um, or sympathy or whatever you want to call it um, because yeah he committed he participated in the system mm-hmm. right and so I think that uh, a lot of people I saw were frustrated with that as well too yeah I mean I think that's completely understandable and I think I I don't know going along with that critique, like towards the end of the movie, I think it's like the last it's, it's within the last hour. It's after he's been caught. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he, we have this moment, right. Where he's like, where Ernest is going to be like, I am going to testify. No, I'm not going to testify. Mm-hmm. No, I do end up testifying. And I was like, I'm trying, I'm trying really hard to see this from like a cinematic experience. Cause right. I feel like if we're looking at it from traditional movie making, people would have probably just cut like the in-between of that and just gone straight to him pointing at, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, Robert De Niro. But I, I do, I do see that there was this attempt at, at like Ernest was trying to reconcile what he did, but it was also like, I don't know it for me. I think the best way was just kind of like, he was really starting to understand the depth and the magnitude of what he did because he, because he just wasn't that smart. That's how they play him in the movie. Like he's just like this bag of rocks that's like going about his life, not realizing all the harm he's causing. I was at a point when I was watching this film when they have the final, when they have the final conversation between him and Molly. Um, to me, that felt more like I don't know. I it was hard to read. I think is the best way for me to put it because I was like. Molly is here clearly trying to get answers, but there's she's clearly done with him. But then he's clearly lying. It was it was hard for me to parse that out at that point in the movie. And I I did not feel any empathy for that character. But I understand why other people would read it as they did, because they gave it they gave it so much time. Um, I agree. It was it was kind of confusing how it was structured, how to read that. But maybe another viewing would help. I I also feel like um so there was moments in this that I there were shots I want to talk about the way that this thing was shot a little bit too right some of the the things that I really enjoyed that made me like this um just as a, from a movie perspective obviously hate the history of it um but I just feel like I need to reinstate that all I could do I'm I'm telling myself I'm texted John the entire time during the movie. And I literally just sent a text that was like, John, I am so sorry. All I could do was just apologize because I felt like this is something I, I didn't know. I know it's real history. It's real life. This this has affected communities. And all I could literally do was just apologize. Like, And I, I didn't know what else to do except like as I'm taking all of this in is like I wasn't there. I didn't know this history. I feel responsible for not knowing the history too, right? There's that's the other the portion of it too. Um, but all I could do was apologize. But as a movie, these were some of the things that I enjoyed. When the mom sees the owl, right? She mm. sees the owl and she tells Molly, when you see the owl, right, that means our people are dying and, and that our bloodline is getting washed away because you all keep marrying these white men. Did they John, do you in the book? Is it as easy and do they do they uh, because in the movie it feels like they were kind of like, yeah, I know why they're here. They want my money. I know what they want. Blah, 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 blah. Is it like that in the movie? Is that played up a little bit for the movie? Is it like that in the book? And is that played up for the movie? 
Yeah. I so yeah, I don't think those scenes I think those scenes were more for like Hollywood. You know, like right. she's not they, I don't think they're like they're not obviously able to get her in her thoughts on that for like that scene with Tantoo Cardinals, the the native character in there. But um yeah, I mean I think that's a good a good question. Um is what uh yeah, I I don't know. I mean I, yeah. I don't I don't totally know the answer to that or anything, but I think that yeah, I'll I'll, I'll pass it to Brian, I think, but or yeah, if you have thoughts, I guess. I, I mean, mean, it's a good question. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, and I, I think, I think as we're looking at, I mean, because you're focusing more on the visuals, right, Marcus? Is mm -hmm. that was that more to your mm -hmm. point? I mean, well, I, I guess both. Oh, yeah. But yeah, though, I, let me say this before you answer. Maybe this will kind of give into a different kind of a question, I guess. But what I liked about that when she said that was that progressively throughout the movie you see each scene that had um, the Osage people around it, whether it was the dedication to the baby or uh, whether it was like they were at the dinner table or breakfast or whatever the case may be. Progressively, these scenes get more essentially whitewashed, right? Yes. They include more yes. white people. They include more mixed or white passing um, of the of when it comes to the family members too, right? So I enjoyed that when she said that, it reflected immediately throughout the movie. That's why mm -hmm. I, that's why I said what I was saying. I, I'm totally on, I've totally got the hook now. And I think I, with that too, right? It's because it's like, I think in like a letter form or something like that and it, it, it comes off as like in the speed of the movie too. Also, like I'm talking about speed in a three and a half hour movie, but it's so well paced that like you don't feel, I would watch this, like the, the pacing of this was so much better than Way of the Water, by the way. I just want to oh, put that God. out there. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is how you do it. And with that, I, I, I think it was like around the two hour mark where they're doing one of those ceremonies and they do a pan and it's like literally all white people and it's, that is like just like a sign of danger. Like as I'm watching it and as the movie's communicating, I'm like, oh, that's danger, danger, danger. And she and the the mother, like she she knows, right? Like, and I think that's how it starts to frame, like, no, like all these people are there, none of them are you are not safe around them. I think mm -hmm. that was the other piece of it, too, which also led to some of the tension because not knowing the history, I was like, I, like, is Molly gonna make it? I because I, I don't. I don't, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. And that was part of my feelings with it. And then the warning um, from her mother. And then on top of it, she saw the owl and I was like, okay, like I want Molly to stay around. I don't know if she's going to make it. Um, so I, I was actually shocked. She did. I thought that yeah, me too. This, how they were telling the story where that was going to go. And that was something I was pleasantly surprised by. And I'm like, that that is the history of it that was you know it's kind of weird to have spoilers with history but like i think you can enjoy this whatever knowledge level you're at um i'll just say that out loud um mm -hmm. not really connected to anything else but no to your point marcus like as i'm looking back on it it does get wider mm -hmm. and it gets more dangerous too like mm -hmm. it's very visual you know and i think actually the the interesting thing is that uh it's I think the the tough part, it's easier for us watching it from like a film perspective, right? Because you can read signs, you can read different things. Like, right. you know, we know that the insulin is like poison too. And so I think from the book, it, it does a better job of kind of hiding these things. So you don't really know what to think of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Now I can't remember Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, Brian. Oh, uh, uh, you're good. Ernest? Ernest Burkhart. Yeah. And you don't 
really know much about him. You know, you know, you, you know details, but there's so many pieces moving that it's kind of hard to like know who's a bad guy. Right. Right. And yeah. so like this, you, you see him murder someone, you see him like actually like putting the poison in her too. And so I think that the, it's yeah. easy to watch from a film and say like, Oh my God, like he's poisoning his wife, but like, she has no idea. Right. She's, right. They're scared. They oh. understand that they understand that like people are dying. Um, there's a lot of fear, but at the same time, like they don't know who to trust or if they would have known who to trust, like he wouldn't have been in the room when they were like sending the people to the, to the thing. And there's actually that the yeah. scene where they like stab and attack the guy, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like Hale, I actually think he helped send that guy to DC and that guy reported back to Hale saying like, I think I have it figured out. Oh. And then he actually got like thrown off the train, I think in actually like real life. So. Oh my God. You know, I think like, so I think it's just like, it's like diabolical, like, right. It's like this, this man has created this system that like, and like the other thing, important thing is, is like, you have to think about who is involved in it. Right. Like the dude selling the caskets Mm -hmm. is making a ton of money because um, the people that are selling the life insurance, all the people that are like in control of these like incompetent, like native people, like, yeah. So this is a whole system that like everyone had to have understood that like most white people in that town were on board with it in some mm-hmm. way or somehow, or, or if they weren't on board, they're still benefiting in some different way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like whether they're giving them a taxi ride or they're selling them a car or, you know, and so it's like, I think it's easy yeah. to like sit there and think like, but yeah, I, I do. Sorry. That was a sidetrack on what you're, no, it was good. Was, but with everything, but, um, but it's interesting to see the differences from the books where like, you're not totally sure who's bad in the book mm-hmm. as you're reading it where this one, yeah. I, I think they, they switched the order of it. And so, yeah, I think I, I think that they they dive in. Brian, I saw that you want to say something. I want to hear what you got to say, but I want to talk about the scene that gave me chills when I saw yeah. it. And I was telling I was telling John about this, and I talked about it a little bit on Twitter. There was one shot that so progressively as the movie goes on, I, I want to note that Leonardo and uh, I'm about to say Raphael, like the damn Ninja Turtles, Leonardo DiCaprio De and, and Robert De Niro, right? are almost, as the movie goes on, they become unrecognizable to me because mm-hmm. um, Leo, he's he's physically transformed his face, right? Um, and when as he is embodying Ernest, this little, he seems dumb. I can't really call it. Maybe he's just, you know, I don't know what it is. But as the movie goes on, I no longer, I see just Ernest and I see just Bill Hale. And I think mm-hmm. that was something else that was extremely done well, but I need to make sure that Lily Gladstone is mentioned just as much as Robert yeah. De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie, because I mean, she absolutely, she didn't just do the job. She did the damn job. She, she runs away with it, in my opinion. I mean, like, I know everyone's going to talk about Leonardo's performance, but like, in some respects, like from a cinematic, like, lens, like, he got to do a lot of the talking and a lot of like the action type, like, actions of moving the plot forward. But I mean, Lily Gladstone, and she, she had to communicate so much with her face, like, if that makes sense, like, she had to do a lot of just kind of reaction and even just the nature of her character. She's like, hey, let's like that scene, even with the rain, like, no, we need like, this is a big storm. We need to just sit. And you could even tell just she communicated energy, which is just like kind of mind blowing. Um, Even in that one sequence. And you understand now 
why I, we kept seeing that still too like that was like the one promotional image they did it was mm -hmm. just her and him sitting at the table mm -hmm. and now you understand like the gravity of that moment but she did so much of that so show so reserved but still still performing so much mm -hmm. like i i really hope i don't know not we don't have to talk about awards but like i really hope she gets recognized for it because she was phenomenal Oh, and as promised, Doug Wagner has oh. joined the chat. D Doug, are you set up? Okay. Well, I don't know where you look like you are in a, a American Horror Story hotel. I don't know where you are. It's that's just the way Salt Lake looks. That's Salt Lake <laughs> City looks like it's just in American Horror Story all the time. That's Why is it no, you, no, you and goddamn college game day is a in Utah? Yeah, and believe it or not, still sketchy. Like, it's just the way it works. It's not any more glamorous. It be, just because college game day is coming here doesn't make it any more or less glamorous than where it's at. Insult Utah on your way in. Doug Wagner, <laughs> a.k.a. I'm really sorry. How you doing, I'm buddy? I'm really sorry. I just don't even know who I need to apologize to. Just I'm really, after watching this movie, I went, I'm really sorry. Like, it's just, just Doug, really... Doug, I actually thought, I thought you went down to Oklahoma to get the land back is what I thought you were doing. <laughs> yeah, that I was uh... originally scheduled to go get the land back, but then <laughs> so there were some flight issues and I couldn't make yeah. it. Yeah, originally scheduled. Yeah. <laughs> I see. We'll you know, take that, we'll take it. We'll take it whenever you can get it. I, you know what? I'm gonna go down there and I'm gonna demand it. That's the way it's gonna you work. Know, I mean, I'd love to see it. The it crew, just, the crew feels complete. I can tell you that. Um, I didn't want to interrupt. I just wanted to come in. You know, scheduling things, work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, where you all at? <laughs> we, we are just i mean we're talking about it all just kind of right now i was going into uh we were talking about the performance of lily gladstone as much as mm. the performance of leonardo dicaprio and robert de niro and how i want to make sure lily gladstone is mentioned just as much as robert and leonardo dicaprio when they start when award season comes around or when they continue to talk about this movie because she just did a phenomenal job oh 100 um, yeah. percent. and you and i talked about this on our way like out of the theater mm -hmm. that our overall concern is, is that, or was anyway, that a lot of the central conversation I feel like is on Leonardo DiCaprio and on Robert De Niro. But I, throughout this whole movie, it felt very, we don't want the message to be like, this is how the villains got away with it. Like we want this to be like a, Let's center around like how people are treated. I think Lily mm -hmm. Gladstone is certainly someone who needs to be included in that conversation because she, she did an outstanding job, mm -hmm. like just such a great job of portraying the role that she did. And I, we don't want to lose the message in a lot of, in, in a lot of this of, of how this was shaking out. So for yeah. sure. So I'm going to put the scene, the shot that sent the chill down my spine and made me piss myself a little bit. Okay. Mm. Oh, so here's, here's the scene that got me the most. Okay, it is when oh, Ernest geez, is Jesus. in the room with everybody from Bill King Hale's like respected party, like his lawyer who's mm -hmm. played by Brendan Fraser, um, and his family is in there. When I tell you that this particular scene scared the shit out of me because it was almost like Scorsese just captured this glimpse of what the room looked like. It's this very dark contrasted room and the white faces seem significantly whiter. It almost feels like a oh. horror story yes. to an extent. And when they sit, when they sit Ernest down, you can tell 
the room, you can't even tell how many people are in the room, but I can tell it's everybody who has conspired with Bill King Hale in that damn city is in that room because everybody's at risk if Ernest like basically flips on them. Right. Mm-hmm. But but Scorsese does his good job of how he shot it, where it's like it seems like the room is endless with faces and bodies because it's like it's everybody. There is no certain number of like only 15 people from the community are in on this. It felt like he did that deliberately to show, no, this is everybody. Look at the amount of people that are affected by this. So yeah. I just wanted to, I don't know if anybody else had any comments about that scene, but any thoughts? I mean, it had get, it had get out vibes. That's true. That's it had get out vibes. Very true. For sure. Very of, true. of that. Like a hundred percent, and I remember sitting next to you in the theater, and you're like, "God damn, that's a lot of white people." Like it's just that's the knee jerk reaction you had of like, because spoiler alert, don't come to Vermilion theaters if Mark if you see Marcus and I walk our happy asses into the theater, turn around, get your money back because we're gonna ruin your experience. Because he out loud was like, "God damn, that's a lot of white folk." Like, and it. I mean, it's just a dis- it's a disheartening situation mm-hmm. for sure that that whole setup. But yeah, that that was that was a lot. Yeah. Any other shots, scenes that like you all either really liked or just took you by surprise? Um, I don't know that stood out to you the most. I don't want to take a step back because I don't know what y'all have talked no, about. Keep at going. This point. No, just come on. Hop one right thing in. I want to mention is. This movie, like you feel the brutality of this movie. And so the scene where they pull um, the sister out of the building that's been exploded. And there's just, there's some, there's some body parts stuck. It's it's Rita, Rita, isn't it? That, yes, yes, yes. Rita is, there's leftover pieces of Rita Mm -hmm. that are stuck. And I thought more, it was an interesting, it was a very interesting choice. I think by Martin to portray the bodies of the native American women to be so still in Mm. the way in which they're portrayed Mm. in death. Like, I don't know if anybody noticed this. They're all in a very similar position Mm -hmm. when they're found. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I just, that moment where they try to pull her up to say like, Oh, she might be still alive. They pull her up and there's that, it's just the brain yeah. matter there that is, and there's no better way to put it. Like yep. the brain matter there that messed with me, the, the brutality of this movie, like the shots around how brutal some of the murders were just stuck with me a lot more. And obviously like it needs to be that way. We can't sugarcoat the way in which it was tra- people were treated, but it's just that stuck to me more stuck with me more than anything like that yeah. level of brutality, because like you would expect that from a mobster movie. Like if I'm going and I'm watching Goodfellas again, I would expect that, right? Like they're mobsters, but the way in which that there's this treated of like, these are, these, these aren't again, trying to put ourselves in the antagonist perspective of like, they're not people. So the level of brutality feels like it's upped to another and ante, mm-hmm. like just feels different like in a lot of it that stuck with me a lot yeah and it was anybody who got in the way right mm-hmm. it was like i think at one point it was you you realize how evil bill king hale is because yeah 
um, one, I thought it was random that they did the Freemason shot. And also the, another shot that I loved and hated at the same time that kind of took me off guard was when the KKK is casually oh, yeah. walking through the street. And Ernest says, oh, what's going on, so-and-so? As he like, deaths, he's like, oh, you bought the nice to town or whatever the case may be after uh-huh. the Tulsa they they watch the imagery from Tulsa. I would have loved to see what Bill King Hale was thinking because as he's watching it, I couldn't see if he was, I won't even say remorseful, right? Because I know that mm-hmm. that's not in him to be that. Or was he getting ideas about this that he later then like applied when he was like trying to kill Rita and her husband, you know, when they blew up the house, did that come and stem from this idea of when he watched the Tulsa, the news from Tulsa, when they blew up the church and everything like that, like, I was trying to correlate and see what his thinking was, not like, well, like it is what it like it is what it is, right? But Bill King Hale was killing everybody when it when it circled mm-hmm. back and he was yeah. like, Oh yeah, you're gonna have to when he told Ernest in the car, sign this piece of paper. I just need oh. you to sign this. Ernest knew he was like that was pretty much him Cooked. signing his life away. <laughs> yeah, dude. And he was just a sick motherfucker, bro. Like yeah. Bill King Hale was a is a sick. He is a sick, 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 sick dude, man. Like crazy. Well, and you talk about like, we talk about like justice a lot. I mean, the justice of like, again, for you or not, but the radio show close, which I personally could have done without, like I wasn't super a huge fan of the, like the radio show close. Like it felt very commentary of like podcasts in this age. And mm-hmm. look, I don't like to be attacked when I go to the movie. It's well, just, it's me. But like what the fact that they who was saying like, oh, yeah, like two. What was it? Um, he said he got out later because he was an ideal prisoner. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is like, again, I think, Brian, and we've talked about this in our chat of like how some songs of like the 60s, the 1960s, like. Bob Dylan's the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. Like there's a line in there that comes to mind in this of like, you're weeping because of this person has died. That's not the time to weep. The time to weep is when justice fails Hmm. and justice fails when a man who is so evil and so at the center of all of this harm to not just one group of people, but a generation still trying to overcome this level of indifference suddenly it's like two years later. It's like, yeah, he's an ideal prisoner. So we're just going to let him out with good behavior. That to me is where we all need to be like, wait, what? Like Mm -hmm. that seems wrong. Mm -hmm. And Martin Scorsese making his own personal appearance at the end of the, yeah. His own own cameo at the end with his eyebrows. Well, and we'll let's put a pin in that really quick. Did anybody else have any other like sequences or anything that like connected with them or or jumped out before before we move on to the radio play? Because I feel like we'll want to talk about that. (laughs) Brian's ready to go down a rabbit hole. (laughs) My favorite scene is when they're walking through when she's uh, Lily Gladstone's walking through the uh, rail station or whatever, Mm -hmm. right outside Mm -hmm. the train station. And they're like the camera like everyone's staring at the camera and it makes you really uncomfortable it feels like you're being stared at mm. i thought that scene was like brilliant mm-hmm. um and i related to that in a lot of ways of like i'm a light-skinned native dude so i don't get stared at all the time but i know my family does like in a lot of different ways and i know that's how they get viewed across south dakota right and so um i related to that scene of like thinking about what that was like of someone in the 20s 1920s mm. uh who people are trying to murder and there's a lot of murder going on. Um, and just what that, that, that scene was just really powerful for me. So, 
Yeah. Uh, another sequence was only because I counted the the one black person in the movie was when they ran to go rob the store and Bill King Hill gave the guy a warning of like, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be what he say two white guys and a negro. That's what he yo, said. Two yo. white guys and a negro is what he said. Uh, I was trying to get the accent that he you said. You were the right there. one to say it. There was a- <laughs> I say it. I say it the, the three of us. Oh, shut just, this motherfucker down. <laughs> That but come for us. That's when, what happened. When <laughs> <laughs> the black, the black and native community all go <laughs> bombard. Yep, collectively. Uh, I just feel like that scene was. I don't know. I just saw the black person in in my mind. Y'all know how I am when I see a black person in the movie, right? So like <laughs> in my head when I seen him, I was like, "Run, run, Negro, run, <laughs> run, run, get go, go." <laughs> Don't stop. He was like running down the street. I was like, run, go run. Like, I don't know. So that scene in my head made me laugh because I was like, oh, there's a one black guy. Because I didn't I didn't realize in my head that I haven't seen a black person this entire time. But then again, I was like, why would I? The KKK just walked through this neighborhood. Yeah. I don't think this is a time period for us. I think Brian and John, collectively, if I'm wrong. Oh, but, let me say this real quick. This okay. is why I'm so glad all three of y'all just hopped on here. Doug, uh, John is really good at history. He's really good. He lives in the archives. He does that shit, right? So does Doug, okay? And then Brian is good with, like, research. I was telling Brian before. I was telling John before. And Brian is really good at, like, pulling the quotes and pulling the resources and pulling the actual whatever. So now I'm glad that all three of y'all is in here because my ass is not that type of person. When I'm sitting next to Doug and they don't really give you like a seasonal change of how, like how much time has passed oh, in this movie, yeah. which I think is very strange for me as somebody who's like trying to like track this whole thing. We don't get any like, it's Christmas time. All you kind of see is like, there's snow on the ground, like pay attention. <laughs> um, it moved into a house. It was like, oh, Just okay. Right. Out. Is this a new house, new neighborhood, new time yep. period? And there I, oh, there's three kids here. Like, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Doug, when he, the FBI agent, Jesse Plemons, is at the door, which he oh, popped shit. up like a cameo appearance. Like, everybody was like, <gasps> it's fucking Jesse. <laughs> Not my response. My response was, this motherfucker. Like, <laughs> just can't. He can't which not look like the law in is... capital L. Is super weird. We knew he was in this movie, but yep. it's so long that when that moment happens, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. But when he, so when that happens and he says, I'm from the Federal Bureau, whatever, whatever, what I'm from the Bureau of Investigation. Yeah. And then he says, uh, who, what was the name he said, Doug, that Herber, made you go? He said, oh, God. Herbert Hoover. Uh, oh, yeah. J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover. Yep. Yep. J. Edgar Hoover. Doug goes, oh, okay. Yeah, it's around nine. He leans over to me. It's like, this is around like 1920 or something like that. Yeah. J. Edgar Hoover. He was like connecting in the dots through the people that they mentioned. So, like, right. what did time look like for you all? When did y'all, when were y'all able to, like, what did that look like for y'all in this film? Well, I know, I knew right away because he just got back from war, the war, right? So he just got mm-hmm. back from World War One. So, um, but they, they don't really explain it. And I, uh-uh. I, at one point I like could tell Megan, I was watching it with my wife, Megan, and I was like, uh, it's 19, it's like in the 19, early 1920s. And she's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like it's, 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 it's really like, they didn't, they don't say that at the beginning. And actually before, before we go back to the radio show fully, like, I think they should have oh, yeah. on the radio show at the beginning and they could have yes. introduced a lot of stuff and then it would have made more sense. So it wasn't so like, what the hell? Like, yeah, but 
but a yeah. man, of, a man of culture i see i agree with you yes yes yeah. yes 100 yeah. percent did you and all just a, just a, just a, so the the radio show i think is a real that's like they redid it but that's like actually like they that's a clip from it um wow. one of the i think few things that has ever actually like covered the story because jagger hooper was a genius at marketing so this case like when they solved this case they like blew it up everywhere because they're like we solved this case and so they actually like made it into a radio show i think and so they probably could have done it a little differently to yeah, validate that, they blew it up to validate the fbi to show like this yeah because the fbi was like was like shit when it started there was like <laughs> yeah. there was it was nothing and, and and like they were like when they started this case i mean that's what the book is that's what the book is about all these like murders and all these other things but it's about mm -hmm. the it's like actually in the title is like in the development of the fbi or something along those mm -hmm. lines too so, so j edgar hoover is actually a player in the story a little bit um huh. I mean, that would make sense. I mean, it's a brand new agency within the federal government. They would want somebody who could both do not only the crime solving, but also the like, can you legitimize a brand new agency within this arm of the government that has previously never existed? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I knew to back up John, I was like, I knew when World War One ended. Like I knew, I knew when it ended and I knew, okay, so it's world war one's over. So we're somewhere between eight, 1918 and 1919. But then I also was like, well, Calvin Coolidge is president. He's president from like 1921 to 1924. He's like the secret president. Like no one knows that he's, he's the forgotten president. When someone's like, Hey, name all the presidents you can. No one names Calvin Coolidge. Like, no, no. Damn, why not are you shooting at this man? Wow. Not wow. Like, no one really knows. The only reason why I know Calvin Coolidge is president is because of another movie, uh, a river run through, like, flying movie. Like, that movie for me, like, I remember they talk about Calvin Coolidge. Doug, we're we're losing you on right. mic just a Doug, little bit. Uh, okay, the, good to know. the ghost in the damn hotel room is taking apart yeah, your mic. It's it's the spirit of the Utes that are getting me. Um, is <laughs> what's Utes. happening? Well, and what's funny that you mentioned about Calvin Coolidge is like the way they frame this, like the the shot, like you have Lily Gladstone talking to him, but the back is to the camera. Mm -hmm. So even in a movie with him involved, it's like no, we don't, we don't, no, we don't want to address just, Calvin we just Coolidge. Just Molly, who's stealing the show, and do yep. more of her. Yep. Um, and this kind of like dovetails a little bit into like the radio show because I feel I, I, I feel us vibing with it because like I feel like that there's stuff there. Um, but one of the things with like that moment, like one of the weird sequences where I was like, what what am I watching? Like when the mm -hmm. radio show started and I I'm very much like John, like if this if this had some symmetry at the beginning, it wouldn't have caught me so off guard because yeah. like at that point i was just kind of like oh like this is are we doing epilogue okay and it was this is like a little jarring um just the whole thing of it um yeah so that's we, well, that's where i'm at with with the radio ending if you could do it differently um Okay, because I know we up on our mark in that ninety minute mark. That ninety minute mark. Yeah, I'm shocked. That that 90 minute mark. I think because we have a nine twenty. Yeah, I have a professional yeah. in the building. Uh oh, my little my little audio went out. We have a professional in the building, so I feel like that's why the ninety minute monster has not come out. So it's because John is here. So I also John, just got here, so he's ready. The ninety minute monster is is feeling fueled and energized. Yeah, yeah, he's ready, to, ready to go. Uh, oh my god. We can still hear you over here. Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. 
good because now my audio is coming through the computer now. Um, so <clears throat> if you could change anything about the movie, it, the ending, the beginning, anything at all, you're in the director's seat. Okay, you have just as much experience as Martin Scorsese casting anything. Give me one thing that each of you would change about this movie. I mean, knee-jerk reaction, more Marvel superheroes. I really think it's important <laughs> that it be noted, especially because I know just as much as Martin. Uh, no, I think I, I mean, I agree with John. I agree with Brian. I think a lot of large portion of this is open with open with the radio show, right? Like present this with that in mind. I think if you need to look for inspiration, uh, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City is great inspiration because that's kind of how this opens up it, with that. I would have opened with the radio show a little bit more, but I also get why you didn't. Like, yeah, I, get, I do. It, you know, it takes a little bit of the punch out of it. It takes a little weight from behind the force of it all if you present it as like almost a serialization of true events. Um I think the other area, Marcus, that I think is important is kind of a little bit of what like you and I talked about is can we show the impact? I need the impact on the families a little bit more. Like, cause again, this felt like a, this felt like a, 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 a 1920s version of OJ's like, I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would do it. Like, I don't, I don't need to see these folks as, as villains. Like, I, I don't want us to say like, yeah, this is totally fine because look, it's, you know, we did this like a lot, like in the 1920s, we did this all the time. Like I need a little bit of the mm. impact more. I need, I wanted more of, of, um, of Lily Gladstone's voice. Like I needed a little bit more of the, of that there again, historically different time, historically different. Like there's a lot of history and a lot of cultural changes that are there, but like, I felt like this was very much like a, uh, uh, like we're trying to make the protagonist and antagonist and blur that line a bit much for me. Okay. Uh, Brian, I think I, honestly, I'm going to be honest. I don't think I would change. Well, I say that and I'm going to take it back now. <laughs> I think, hold on. I, I, I think there's just, there's so much going on with this movie. I mean, like I think the, the most simple thing I would say would be starting it with the radio drama um, because the thing that the, like the one good thing that the radio drama did for me in my experience was like it. So at first I was like, well, this is silly. They got people up here saying voices and it wasn't like, it wasn't like anything we just saw. And like, they're kind of like really watering this whole thing down. It's like, Oh my God, I'm talking about this movie. Like I am, I am, I am having a meta moment and I just, I need to own it. And so I understand, I appreciate that moment for myself too. Cause it was like, Oh, like it's like really blurring this line between like entertainment and like non-fictional things that happened. And how are we reconciling that? And I know that Martin Scorsese, like he, he shows up and almost like talks to the audience and reads Molly's obituary, which I, I do think is powerful. Mm -hmm. I'm just also left with like, I, I just want to know what the, like, I'm still just left wondering like how the Osage would have told this story. Um, that's, yep, and that's, that's just, that's always going to be there. And, and mm -hmm. maybe that's a good thing. Um, and pushing and pushing that. But I, I guess, I guess what I'm just trying to say is like, I would have added a little bit more symmetry, even though I'm struggling with, 
just the radio play. And even though it was a good reflection mechanic for me, um, realizing all this and having it come rushing to me at the same time. And then it's like, I mean, we already talked about how it, how it fades out, but you do see, you do see these folks happy and, and thriving and surviving just kind of like what John had mentioned too earlier too. And I, I actually didn't think about that or put it together in that aspect, but that is kind of how it, how it goes. So I guess I would just try to set that up more with the radio play at the beginning. That was a really long way of saying that, but I felt like that was important because I don't want to make it sound like I'm totally down on it. It just kind of, it surprised me. I'll leave it there. John? Yeah. So, so I actually, I told Marcus this a little bit. Now I've been thinking a lot more as we've been talking this, but I actually would have started again with the radio show at the beginning, but now I want to push further. I said this to Marcus earlier that I would, actually do the radio show would transition at the end into a podcast in like present day and then discussing oh. it. Ooh. But now I'm actually thinking that it would make more sense to do a podcast at the beginning um, of them talking about this um, with the actual family members, because that's one of the things that I, I was saying earlier, Doug, in the book, they actually like the last chapter is him interviewing the family members like that. Oh, okay, sentence. cool. That's good content. And so like, you're getting this like history from them of saying like, yeah, like we're, you know, this happened, it's awful. It impacts our family, but we're still here. And so yeah. I think that it would be interesting to do that because I think one of the things like I could tell I was Marcus, Megan and I were telling Marcus today that there was this older couple behind us that uh, <laughs> they couldn't hear very well. And the older gentleman was explaining to his wife like a majority like about every 20 minutes he would explain like oh well here's what's happening and and oh. i was like man i think the context at the beginning could have solved them some of those issues because there were yeah. some scenes where i was like if i hadn't read the book i would have been like what what yep. was that but yep. so i think that like just some basic context and, and i don't know how you do that in a way that doesn't and i know how scorsese is right he's not going to want to do that he wants no. to like mystery and the drama because he's got to be at the beginning and he's got to be at the end right? it all. Um, you got to inference this okay cinema, you keep that. Cinema. Was yeah. it, now did he have a hard time hearing because taylor swift was playing next door or was this just his own body was betraying him never, I, never, I, I actually don't think together. i don't think it was <laughs> i don't think it was him he could hear but she would just be like what's going on and then he would, <laughs> And uh, he'd be like, he killed her for the head rights. And oh, Megan, and Megan and I were like, oh my gosh. Uh, so it was about every 20 minutes, which 20 minutes for three and a half hours. You that's know, a lot. That, that, adds, that's, that adds up too. So that's great. Um, but, you know, it, it was nice if I didn't get the scene, he would relive it for me a little bit too. So that's true. Uh, in case you miss, in case you miss something, it dumbs yeah. down in a way in which, like, what happened? They drove across from here to there. Got it. Perfect. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. At least he was using the right language, like head rights. At least, at least he was paying attention. I mean, yeah. If it was a bunch of racial slurs, you would have been like, oh, Lord, <laughs> man. Problem. Here I was in the theater alone, being like, okay, head rights. I'm gonna keep. I gotta figure out what that is. I wasn't yelling at anybody. I just, I was taking notes in my mind. I mean, honest, I was taking mental notes because I was like, this is totally different for me and I got to figure this out. And then I, and I did, but yeah, I wasn't yelling at somebody in my theater. <laughs> Explain this to me. I think, I think, I saying, Marcus, what would you change? Um, <clears throat> funny enough, I think there are some scenes that maybe could have been cut down or cut. Oh, wow. 
um, you know, like some of the scenes, like when he goes and he finds the guy with eight kids at his house and he takes and bring them back for um, questioning, right? Scorsese decided he wanted to keep that full scene of that guy running back into Ernest and Ernest yeah. explaining why he flipped and then him explaining that his uncle told me to kill him. Like he went, I, I don't know yep. why he felt the need to do that. Cinematically, it didn't make sense. I agree. Maybe he wanted to explain that and roll that out in full because that's how it is in the book. Maybe there's some significance there, but I think you can trim some of those scenes down. Um, yeah. I think they should have highlighted the FBI team more because they had a was he a member of the Osage that was also in the FBI so that so that was actually I think I was uh, Megan and uh, her mother Dr. Redshirt were, and I were like having a conversation about that because we both read the book and I think that that was a combination of native people that were in the area that they kind of infiltrated into the community I don't think it I don't think it was just one native person I think they oh. made it oh wow but I couldn't I was trying to remember that I couldn't totally remember the details but we didn't remember there being like I think there were native people but you don't really you didn't really know who the informants were because so like if you when he's reading the notes it just says informant one says this and this mm -hmm. and this person's most likely a native person right so i think they probably did that for for some for some more drama but i don't know yeah mm -hmm. okay that, that okay that see that should have been explained more something okay so in my mind i'm like i would have liked to see that fbi team if there was an alternative movie where this isn't based on actual real life human beings and the history oh. of actual real life human beings, there's something that can be said about that collected group of FBI agents. Mm. And because they were having some some dialogue that seemed like they had good rapport with each other. They were actually solving and investigating that. I would have maybe switched the movie scene to go from less about Ernest to kind of them focusing more clearly and mainstreamly of them solving and investigating because it kind of seems like it would show Ernest and him poisoning his and poisoning Molly and everything and then the FBI agent FBI agents picking up pieces slowly and we kind of have to gather that they picked up these pieces slowly like and I don't know I'm so curious and I I really do wish I could like talk to Martin Scorsese about this decision with the story because like if the intent was to like and if the intent of the movie was to be like, these folks weren't really that smart. They're terrible, evil people. And like, just like a regular townsperson was like on the street being like, I can tell you everything. And they're like, really? And he's like, yep, here's who, here's where everybody was. Who's here did what? Like, <laughs> here's who done it and how. Yeah. Well, and the thing was, at that point in the movie, I've seen so many surreal things that are based on history. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know, prob probably, like, at this point, like, the way that the way that these people treated each other, like, maybe, but I, I would have to imagine that there was more of an investigation there. I, I hear you, Marcus. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, do we, do we know, do we know? Like what happened to the family long term? Again, I might be rehashing something you all talked about. Like, does the book, like John, does the book get into like where the family is now? Were they able to, over the course of generations and generations, maintain um, the rights to their land, or or how did things shake out? Yeah, that's. I don't totally remember the details. It's been a, okay. about a couple of years since I read it last, but um, I do know they go into details in terms of like this is a descendant. Some of them mm. do still have claims. Um, you know, obviously trying to maintain culture, different different issues now as well too. But mm -hmm. I think 
you know, I think that the, the stress was more so focusing on them, them like overcoming uh, yeah. everything that happened um, and how it kind of, it kind of changed the, the other thing that they don't, he doesn't stress in the book too much. Maybe he does a little bit, but like the oil dries up too. Right. So mm. there's no reason to like murder people. Right. If there's yeah, no right. oil. And so, um, you know, obviously land's valuable in a different way, but, but I think that like a lot of these stop once the case gets solved and then there, there is like a lot of, he does allude to like, he goes through and looks at all the death certificates, uh, mm. all these things. And they, they say it a few times that wasting illness. Um, mm-hmm. and this is where Marx and I talked about there's, I think they said there's 28 to 30 of like Osage murders. That's what it is credited with the FBI solving. But when he goes through and looks at all these certificates of like people who were the, um, not liaisons, but like whatever their terms were that were in charge of like the incompetent natives, basically, mm-hmm. um, the people underneath them, a lot of them were dying of like this wasting illness and it got up into like the nineties or, or more. And so, um, so I, I think a lot of them lost the land because of that for a lot of different yeah. reasons. So, so it goes into a lot more details like that, that I don't totally remember like the specifics of like which descendants are they're interviewing. But I do think like Molly has descendants that are like still alive today, which like, I also think about like watching this movie for them. It's not just about like mm-hmm. your grandmother surviving. It's also like, well, your great grandfather like was a giant asshole too. Right. You know, like participated yeah. oh, in this. Geez. So yeah. like you're, you got to reconcile with like both sides of those two probably. Right. Like, damn a great point that yeah that's a really good point that's yeah. something you have to you have to cope with because that's not bit. just a that's not just a another evil white man on the screen that's your that's family right yeah, and that dude. makes it yeah that's a different conversation you know that's a that's a lot harder to have um <clears throat> and just goes once again back to how diabolical everybody was um i i any other final thoughts about the movie oh my god as I mean, a whole Beyond, like, fuck the government, like, largely speaking. Yes, indeed. No. I mean, yeah, right? Because the reason why I say I don't want to, like, like trick-or-treat that and be like, yep, trick-or-treat, I'm out. Like, yep. I, I mean, I think that's the other part of this that, like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know unless you were looking into the history of, like, the ways in which, like, yeah, this is a pretty flagrant example of something that folks did pretty commonplace, mm. like, across our nation's history. So, like, if it's sort of like a, if you think this is bad, yeah, just open a book, like, mm. <laughs> like, like open a textbook yeah. that focuses on 